You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. most minuscule person is named here. What does that tell you? That they're important to God. That they are important to God, to our Savior. The most minuscule of us is important to God, important to Jesus Christ. And he came to save that one who is the most minuscule, the one who is overlooked, the one who always thinks that they fail and they find. He came to save me. According to the world, Powerful, strong, wise, and mighty people are the best. Yet, as Pastor Dave teaches today, God views men and women differently. He sees the heart and knows the devotion. He sees and loves everyone, regardless of status or popularity. If your heart is devoted to God, He knows. That's what He desires. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 4 as he begins his message. Names, names, and more names. Chronicles. No, no, more names. Names, names, and more names. That's the title of today's message. Names, names, and more names. You can see I'm struggling for titles, folks, so don't, don't, get, don't get angry at me. So we're in First Chronicles, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us in your word. What a great feeling it is to know that you're with us, that you'll never leave nor forsake us, Father. And Lord, I ask, Father God, that now we can focus on your word, that we can lay aside the weight, the sin that so easily ensnares us, and focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, that we would see him in the midst of all these names. Lord, we would know where this is going. And Lord, we would learn more of you and know more of you than we did when we came in, Father God. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing upon this church and all that we do, Lord. So, Father, we give this to you. Holy Spirit, have your way in here. Guide and lead us through these scriptures that you inspired men to write. So, Lord, help us in our endeavors. We know that you don't disappoint, Lord. So, bless us abundantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew. So, a couple of weeks ago, we began our studies in First Chronicles. And we basically discussed why did, were these books written? What was the purpose of First and Second Chronicles? Now, it's believed that Ezra, the scribe, is the author of these books. Now, when I say author, I mean he penned them. Make no mistake, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to do this. So, but he is considered the author. But what was the purpose? The purpose was to give this new generation of Israelites... A history lesson. He wanted to make sure that this new generation, now remember, this new generation that Ezra is writing to had been born in captivity. They had been born in the 70 years of captivity that Judah spent in Babylon. And this new generation was now being freed. They were coming back into Jerusalem. They were coming back into the promised land. They had no history. They didn't know anything about David or anybody. They didn't have a history, so to speak. And it was important that they understood 
where they came from. It was important that they understood who God is and who God is to them. It's important that God was leading the nation, a nation that he chose. And not only did Ezra want it to show Israel their past, but he wanted to give them a future and a hope. You know, when Jeremiah wrote his beautiful prophecy, we know this scripture in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. We all quote it. We love this scripture. But it was actually written to the captives as they came back from Babylon. That scripture that we can claim because God is the same is written to these captives. And he says this, you know the verse in 11 through 14 in chapter 29 of Jeremiah. For the Lord says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search me with your whole heart. I will be found of you, says the Lord. Wow. What a beautiful scripture that Jeremiah is saying, hey guys, when you come back, this is our God. This is the one who loves you. This is the one who wants you to recognize him and seek him with your whole heart. We know from Hebrews that God rewards those who diligently seek him. And he rewards those with what? With love and affection and brings us to a point where we look to Jesus Christ and we say, yes, you are my savior. You are my Lord. And so that's what's happening here. He wants to show them all these things that are happening to him. Now, it's no secret I like history. It's, it's not a secret. I do like history. I wanted to be a history teacher. But because I flunked the first history class, I became a shop teacher. <laughs> I had a history minor. I did teach history at some time. I love history. So reading these genealogies to me is like when I first found out about George Washington, when I first found out about Patrick Henry, or even Benedict Arnold, when I found out about Thomas Jefferson, when I, I remember reading about Davy Crockett and the men who formed this country, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, reading about FDR, Eisenhower, Kennedy, and all alike. Well, that's what's happening here. That, you can relate that to what Ezra is writing to the Israelites. He's saying, this is your history. History is extremely important because when we read history, we get a sense of belonging. We get a sense of who we are, where we came from. And that's what Ezra is trying to tell these people. Ezra is trying to tell these people that you have a long history. And it goes all the way back to creation and all the way back to the very first man, Adam. And you're from his lineage. And it's going to go much further. And it's going to come down to where the Messiah will be born. That's the whole purpose of this beautiful, beautiful book. And we read these genealogies in First Chronicles. And it leads us to Jesus Christ. Same way with Matthew 1 and, and Luke uh, 2 and 3. When you see the genealogies in there. We read through the New Testament. We as believers, we also get to find out from whence we've come. We weren't... Born in the spirit, we were, we were, excuse me, we weren't born by man, we were born of the spirit to be born again, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And I think this is a wonderful thing. So this is fascinating to me, and I, and I really, really love it because it shows us all these things. Now, as we came from chapter one, we saw Adam, Adam to Abraham, and then from Abraham to Isaac, and then Jacob. And when we got to chapter 2, we saw the descendants of Jacob's sons. 
all the way from Judah to David. And although Judah, does anybody know what Judah means by any chance? Praise. praise. Judah means praise. So from Judah, praise, who was fifth in line, he gets the birthright. And we talked about that last time. He got the, the birthright. He got the blessing because the first three, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi were disqualified because of their behavior, although Levi would get a special blessing because he would be the ones who served the Lord. So we've come in through here, and we get to chapter 3. We study the genealogy of David. David had 19 sons, but Solomon, Solomon was the son chosen by which the lineage would go through, the son of Bathsheba, and we talked about that. We talked about Boaz's mom, who was, remember? Rahab. Boaz's mom, and we talked about Bathsheba, and we talked about Ruth, Boaz's wife, the mother of Jesse. The descendants of the son of David would lead to the true son of David, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I love that. As we started chapter 4, we saw the sons of Judah again and their descendants in verses 1 through 23. And it's interesting, though, if you get down to verse 23... Because we talked about Jabez and the prayer of Jabez last time. We, we, we studied that and we looked at that. But in verse 23, it says, These were the potters and those who dwell, and that Tame and Gerdera, they dwelt with the king for his work. So what I like about this is the, the most minuscule person is named here. What does that tell you? That they're important to God. That they are important to God, to our Savior. The most minuscule of us is important to God. Important to Jesus Christ. And he came to save that one who is the most minuscule. The one who is overlooked. The one who always thinks that they fail and they find. He came to save me because that's me. So I love this genealogy. We read this. So as we continue in chapter 4, which is where we left off. Take a minute and look back to verse 4. Verse 4 says, And Penuel was the father of Gedor, and Ezra was the father of Husha. These were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephredada, the father of Bethlehem. The father of Bethlehem. Now, anybody know anything about that? How about Micah chapter 5? In Micah chapter 5, in verse 2, is a prophecy by the prophet Micah. And he says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy for Jesus Christ. So there it is listed in the genealogy here as the father of Bethlehem. And he indeed is the father of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem becomes a huge, huge part of the birth of Christ. Bethlehem, the house of bread. Bethlehem. So we're studying these descendants of Judah. And besides Jesus, who is the Lion of Judah, there are two other well-known men in the Bible who come from Judah, not the kings. These are different than the kings. Can you give me one? 
He was the greatest king, David. Can you give me another name? Are oh, you going to love this? The Greek form of Judah, Judas. The Greek form of Judah is Judas. Judas was from Judah. Let me give you the reasons. He's sometimes called the son of Simon in John 6 and 13 and 13. But more commonly, he's called Judas Iscariot in Matthew 4, 10, 4, Mark 3, 19, Luke 6, 16. The name Iscariot has received many interpretations, more or less conjectural. The most probable is from Eshkarith. In other words, a man of Kareth, a town in the tribe of Judah. You can look that up in Joshua 15, 25. So Judah Iscariot was from the tribe of Judah, the same tribe as Jesus, the same tribe of Jadah. I find that interesting. That's why I put it out there. So I find it interesting. So moving along in chapter 4, we see in verses 24 through 43, the sons of Simeon. Now we're talking about Jacob's Sons, Israel's children, the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're all listed here. Interesting that in the book of Numbers, the population of the tribe of Simeon decreased during the wilderness years. When the wilderness began, they were among the largest tribes, but when the wilderness journey ended, they were one of the smallest tribes. So we have the family of Simeon. Good men, strong men, but they, they, they reconciled their purpose by serving the kings. As we begin chapter 5, we have the genealogy of Reuben. And we have the genealogy of Manasseh. And we have the genealogy of Gad. What is peculiar about Reuben, Gad, and half a tribe of Manasseh? They never crossed the Jordan River. When Joshua was ready to come into the promised land, Reuben, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh said, we want to stay here on this side. Instead of going into the promised land, they stayed on the east side of the Jordan. They did not go in. Now, they did go in and help Joshua conquer the land, and then they went back to their home. And I've always taught about this as the promised land is always a symbol of what? John 10.10. 10, the abundant life. The promised land is always a symbol of the abundant life. What I always teaches is that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh didn't take full advantage of what God had for them. And they were blessed. Don't get me wrong. They were blessed to a point. But they didn't take what God had for them. They were satisfied over here. And I relate that to some of our Christianity. We're happy where God has us and we don't want to move forward. We don't want to take all that God has for us. And you know what? I equate that sometimes with how some of us feel towards the Holy Spirit. Well, I think the Holy Spirit is good and everything, but I don't want much more. I don't want to speak in tongues. No, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. So we hold back from what God might really want to do in your life. He might want to do something really special in your life. And I think that the Reubenites and Gad and half a tribe of Manasseh lost out. They lost out. Now, they still got a blessing. Now, just because you don't want the Holy Spirit in, you know, in that form to be baptized with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you're not saved. 
When you become saved and born again, the Holy Spirit indwells in you. But you're missing out. You're missing out on the power. You're missing out on the boldness. You're missing out on a, a whole new life. I think you're missing out on the abundant life. That's my opinion. I think you're missing out on the abundant life by saying no when the Holy Spirit wants to give you such power and such joy and such gifts. I think that's happening here. And in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, it says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, was indeed the firstborn. But because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright was Joseph's. So Joseph got the birthright, Judah got the blessing. Judah got the blessing, and from his line comes the Messiah. But because of Reuben slept with one of the concubines that, uh, that um, Jacob or Israel had, he defiled his father's bed, he was cut out. Maybe that's why he chose to stay over there. I don't know. We don't really know. Some things are left to our imagination. Imagination. Look at verse 10. 10 of chapter 5. Now, in the days of Saul, they made war against the Hagrites, who fell by their hand, and they dwelt in their tents throughout the entire area east of Galid. The Haggites were Arabs. You know their mother. What was her name? Hagar. She was the mother of the Arabs. Ishmael's mother, Hagar, was the mother of the Arabs. So from her came these Hagarites. Came these Hagarites who are talked about here in verse 10. Beginning in verse 11 now, we see the family of Gad in 18 through 22. You can see all the Gadites. Excuse me, 11 through 22. But let's read 18 through 22. The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with bow, and skillful in war who went to war. They made war with the Hagrites, Detour, Nahish, Naphish, and uh, Nodad. And they helped against them, and the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. Ah. So here is this group of men who are warring while they were on the other side of the river, and God still blessed them. Why did God bless them? Because they cried out to God. If my people who are called by my name, the whole thing, think about it. They cried out to God and God helped them because they were part of God's family. They were still God's children. They were still God's children, but they were at a distance from the people of Israel, the true people of Israel. They were at a distance from them and this hurt their general life and it hurt their spiritual life. It weakened their devotion to God and it strengthened their attraction to other gods. This happens in our lives when we distance ourselves from believers. When we choose to distance ourselves, not come to church, not come to thing, regardless of a pandemic, I'm, I'm excluding that, but when we don't fellowship with the believers, when we don't fellowship and come and worship together, we distance ourselves from other believers, we too have problem in our spiritual life. There's a problem in your spiritual life if you're not fellowshipping with believers. Forsake not the gathering of the brethren, it says. We need to be here. Why? Because we need each other. 
We need each other. Iron, sharpening iron. We pray for each other. We lift each other up. We go through trials with each other. We go through tragedies with others, we, with each other. We are constantly with each other and we learn about each other. It's called fellowship. And I contend that that was one of the things that Satan wanted to do with this pandemic. He cut out fellowship. Remember the four pillars of the early church? Apostles' doctrine, breaking of the bread, fellowship, and prayer. The table. Take away one of the legs of the table, the table falls. Satan thought he could take away our fellowship. And look what happened. There's a teetering going on. A lot of people haven't returned, haven't come back. They're afraid, and I am not disrespecting their fear, please. But you see what's happening here. You take away one of those legs of the table, and the table falls. It's important that we have the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God, that we have prayer, that we have communion, breaking of bread, and that we have fellowship one to another. That's what the whole book of 1 John is about, talking about fellowship one to another. So the tribes on the eastern side of the River Jordan don't finish very well. They do not finish very well. Look at 25 and 26 in chapter 5. And, and they were unfaithful to God of the, to the God of their fathers and played the harlot after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, that is Tiglath-Pizler, king of Assyria. He carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. He took them to Hala, Habor, Hara, and the river of Gozan to this day. They didn't finish well. They did the same thing that Israel did and Judah did, that the northern tribe did and the southern tribe did. They did the exact same thing. They played the harlot. What does that mean? They worshiped other gods. It's called spiritual adultery in the Bible. The Bible calls it spiritual adultery. God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And when we go after another God, regardless of what that God is, it's spiritual adultery. When we start worshiping other things, sometimes we start worshiping good things. They're good, but we worship them and they become idols to us and God has to deal with us. Didn't Jesus say, unless a man hates his mother and father and brother and sister, you'll have no part of me? And people go, whoa, what do you mean hate? I don't want to hate. No, he's saying, unless I'm not the priority of your life, you're not truly following me. Unless I'm not the priority of your life, you're not truly following me. So we have the tribes on the east side of there. So as we begin chapter six, moving along, we come to the family of Levi. The Levites had a very important job. Their job was to serve the Lord. And they served the Lord in all sorts of ways, carrying the tabernacle, putting up the tabernacle every now and then, doing all these things. Levi's were priests. You are sure You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. And in today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of First Chronicles. In this book, we witness the kingship of David. What was it that made David such a great king over Israel? No doubt he was a mighty warrior, full of faith and courage. But that's not what made him so great. 
His greatness came to him because he followed God. When a choice was before him, he went first and asked the Lord what to do. When you face choices in life, what is it that you do first? It might be tempting to first look at finances or talk to a friend. But if you want to be great like King David, seeking God and His wisdom is the first thing to do. As we progress through the story, we'll see times that God sends David into war and others where he directs him to avoid war. We can only know God's direction by seeking His face. Here at Assure Hope, we'd love to do that with you. Are you facing a difficult choice? We'd love to seek God's face in prayer with you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. Once again, that's info at capewatchradio.com. Or you can call us at 609-884-5821. That phone number, again, 609-884-5821. Well, we've come to the end of our time together for today. We'll be back, though, and we hope to see you again here on Assure Hope.